Awesome. And then not long after that, y'all know uh, they mentioned Christopher Columbus. Anybody ever heard of him? Yeah. Not long after that, it took off, right? And the gospel spread in America since. And because of what happened in Acts, we're now beneficiaries all the way through. Y'all follow that? It's a really cool story. And so this morning we finish it and we'll keep going. So um, it's going to be good. I know y'all wonder what we're doing next. Uh, the next couple weeks we'll do stuff on Christmas. Um, that's coming up. And then we'll do a couple, uh, we'll have a couple weeks in between. And then in the book. After that, I don't even have my mic on. There we go. Um, after that, uh, we will um, be jumping into the book of Ecclesiastes. So we'll do Old Testament for a little while, and then we'll get going. We'll talk a little bit about why we do that um, in a minute. So Acts 28, what we're going to do this morning is kind of do a, a skim of getting a couple points from kind of the whole chapter. And so I'm going to read the first six verses and pray, and we'll get going. Sound good to you guys? Yeah? Ready to be done? 50 weeks is a long time. Proud of you guys. Y'all are still here. Um, we've actually grown doing that, you know? You think uh, many, many churches, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, become pragmatic. What does that mean? It means that they try to come up with new ways while compromising to reach people, okay? So let's do the latest and greatest series, right? Let's come up with something that's uh, culturally relevant and name the series after that. Or let's do uh, something that's, that's going to be new and fresh and that's going to get people in the doors. Listen, what grows the church are the saints, the believers being equipped to leave the church and go make disciples outside of these walls. Amen. What's the most sustainable method of our church growing? Equipping the saints for the work of ministry is what Ephesians 4.12 says. And then we equip you guys, encourage you guys and then we make disciples outside of here. And so how do we do that? We preach through books of the Bible, right? We'll do this for the life of our church or at least as long as um, our elders now have any say because we're committed to it and we love it and it's good. So sound good? Acts 28, we'll finish it today. Verse 1, if you remember, uh, he's landed on this island because of a shipwreck. He's heading to Rome and he'll get there. Uh, in just a few verses, but something weird happens. If you think about Paul's life, if you could summarize it, it would be that Paul has stayed urgent through trials, right? He keeps on going and keeps on going. Um, and when you think that Paul may be done with trials, maybe he'll throw the white flag up and surrender. He keeps going and he keeps going. And so as if things couldn't get worse, um, his shipwrecks, he goes on the city of, or lands on the island of Malta, and then something even weirder happens. So here we go, verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people, um, that word there, native people, is barbaros, which is just where we get the words barbarians, right? The barbaric people. Um, the native people of the island, or who he's in contact with, showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us because it had begun to rain and was cold. So when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them out on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Y'all read that right. Okay? As if things can't get worse, a snake comes out of some sticks and bites Paul. Okay? A viper. That's what rattlesnakes are. They come from the viper uh, familia of uh, kingdom family analysis. Okay? Rattlesnakes are vipers. So some type of viper comes out of the sticks, bites him on the hand, and that's... Where we are, okay? Pretty bad, okay? If you thought it couldn't get worse, snakes are now after him. This is interesting, though, because how the people react 
teach us a lot about how they think of God and how these random native people, barbaric people think of God is actually the same mindset that we fall into a lot on how we think of God. So we'll learn from them. Listen to what happens. Verse four. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Think about it. They know that the people that wrecked off this ship were on their way to Rome to be tried. Okay, there's a lot of prisoners. And so they know that Paul's on there because he's been a murderer. Has Paul been a murderer? Absolutely. He was there when, when uh, Stephen was stoned and uh, he played a part all through that. Okay, But these people are basically saying, guess what? Karma. What goes around comes around. This guy's a murderer. He thinks he's getting saved because his shipwrecks on our island. We're going to be nice to you. But justice, if you notice in your Bible, it's a capital J. They're personifying karma. They're, they're putting a, a big idea or a godly type idea on the idea of justice saying, well, karma's not going to let you get away, Paul. That, 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 they're not going to let that happen. The, the power of the universe or whatever the, the typical thing that non-believers would say when supernatural things happen they're not going to let you get away with it. Justice is going to be served. However, if you know Paul, he's an apostle. The apostles back then had extraordinary power, different from you and I. They had the power to write scripture, but also they had the power to do miracles and healings, etc. And so what happens with Paul? He, however, shook off the creature like it was nothing into the fire and suffered no harm. These people know that they didn't have anti-venom back then. They didn't send them to... Uh, St. Mary's for them to become okay and put them IVs and anti-venom and then be okay. What happened when people back then got bit by vipers is they died. That's just what happened. So he, he shook the creature off in the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a what? A god. This guy, there's something different about him. You remember we talked about how you're immortal until God says it's time, right? Wouldn't that have been good advice when COVID started? I mean, really, like it's a real thing. We, we're stressed about dying all the time. We talked about that last week, how fear is a real thing. But Paul's just making his way. He's like, you know what? If the viper gets me, the viper gets me. If the people in Ephesus got mad and rioted against me and they get me, then they get me. If you send me to Rome and Nero chops my head off, which is what ends up happening, then Nero gets me. But until then, I'm going to have fruitful labor for the Lord. Pretty good way to live. Amen? And so that's what ends up happening. And so through this passage, we're going to see him get to Rome. And then we're going to see kind of a closing thing that Paul says, the last words we have from him documented at the end of the chapter. And we'll get our points from there. Enroll. So let's pray and get into it. All righty. Uh, Lord, we love you. God, I'm thankful uh, for your word. God, I'm thankful that even as a, a pastor, God, that we don't have to guess on what to teach. God, we don't have to guess at who you are. God, we don't have to wonder if you're loving and merciful. We don't have to wonder if you're just. God, we don't have to wonder if you'll punish evil. We don't have to wonder what our ending will be as believers. God, we get to see you face-to-face, -face, and be with you forever. And God, we know all of this because of your word. And God, we know that we can trust your word. And so I pray now as we work our way through the text, God, that it would uh, sharpen us. God, would it encourage us? Would it convict us? And God, with this time 
uh, as we spend expounding your word, would it bring glory to you? God, would you uh, work on our hearts, chisel out our life? God, would you make us more like Jesus through the preaching of your word in this time? And we love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Everybody says, amen. Has anybody ever been in a time where uh, you would say that you've seen somebody have a lot of zeal for something, but no foundation, and then it fizzles out? Yeah? Or maybe somebody goes into something with absolutely no zeal, and because of that, it ends up not doing well, right? You have no excitement when you start it. Think about starting a business. You need some, uh, you need zeal to have the, the desire and want to to start it, right? It's going to take a little bit of rogue in you, a little bit of uh, desire that you're going to make this happen, but you have to have processes and a foundation for it to sustain long term. Y'all follow me on that? It's the same way with, say, sports. You want to be geared up. You want to have zeal to be emotional, but you don't want to be too geared up that you forget how to uh, think through what you're supposed to do, right? You see this happen with football teams or um, anything all the time. You need a healthy balance of zeal and foundation. You need both together. And so when you think about this, one of the things that it makes me think most, I think one of the most relatable things to that idea is marriage, right? What do you go into marriage with? A whole lot of what? Zeal. Usually, not a lot of what? Foundation, right? I'm telling you, that's premarital. I do it almost every single Monday night for two hours. Why are you getting married? I don't know. Well, you think it's going to work out. You have no design, no vision for what you're doing. You're just falling in love like somebody falls in a ditch. And you think five years from now, when you have, when you have kids, things are going to work out. You know what I mean? I'm not, the, the, some of the, the first marriage counseling we did, this is not premarital, what marriage counseling um, I did. I remember the couple, they realized that when they first got together, these are the word, things they kept saying. I just want it to be like when we first met. Well, of course you do. But the problem is you can't first meet them again in this lifetime. You know what I mean? You, and so what they did, I'm not exaggerating, they said that they started spending time apart to make it like they had met again. So they would take like a month and take three or four days and they would go on a girl's trip and a guy trip. Let me make this more uh, reasonable for you guys because it sounds silly that they did that, but in a sense we do it too, right? You, they, they, she needed a long, not a girl's night. She needed a girl's week. You know what I mean? And he needed a guy's week. And then they'd come together, fires... There'd be a spark, and then what would happen, though? Fizzle out. No foundation. And so this happened a lot. It, it got me thinking, this is what happens a lot in our spiritual lives, right? And because that's what happens in our spiritual lives, the church, unfortunately, has drifted to doing that, right? And here's news for you. The kick drum on Sunday morning won't sustain your Christianity long, Right? An emotional pastor who gets you fired up for 30 to 45 minutes, if I go long an hour, it's not going to sustain you, okay? Right? You're going to get to the restaurant, somebody's going to tick you off, and your Christianity goes out the door, right? When you're changing diapers, college students, when you're studying, college students, when you go to a party, everybody's doing what you don't want to do. Workers in here, when you go to work and people are making crude jokes that we shouldn't do as believers, those times, the kick drum's not sustaining your Christianity, right? The, the kick drum's not going to sustain you. The sermon, the, the text. How can we have sustainable urgency like Paul did? Anybody wonder that, right? We, we use this analogy a lot. It's like fireworks. It's a big show for 15 minutes, right? You go the next day, there's no residue. Anything ever happened, 
right? But you know what miners do for a living? They spend hours and hours and weeks and months and years chipping away in the ground. You can go back thousands or, or hundreds of years and see where people mined, right? They did a little bit at a time, but you can go back and see a difference they made, right? One of my greatest fears is, especially being a new church with new people, is that we want instant gratification. We want to, to, to put our uh, spiritual life in an air fryer for 15 minutes and stir it up and have it done so we can leave and be gone for a month, right? And that's kind of how we do Christianity. But that's not how it works, right? Paul, if he had tried this method, he wouldn't have made it long. Right? There would have been no sustainable urgency. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of sum up Paul's life, but we see three things happen here because Paul gets to the point where he's really about to die this time. We thought he was going to die the last 15 chapters, but he's about to actually get there. But we see things that sustain him. So I'm going to go ahead and give you my three points, and we'll unpack them from this. Three things we need to have sustainable urgency to receive well done. Three things to have sustainable urgency, if you're writing them down. The first one is we need to have a good understanding of the gospel. We need to have a good understanding of God's grace, of what Christ has done for us, because everybody in here, we'll see in a minute, we get this attitude of, I deserve more, or I'm naturally a good person. Why would this happen, right? And we get the gospel backwards. We know that Romans 23, 3.23 tells us that we're all naturally bad, Right, And it's only through the blood of Jesus that things are get good for us. The second thing we see that we need to have sustainable urgency is a healthy community of believers pushing you forward. To have sustainable urgency, you need people around you. What do we call this? The church. Right? You need people around you that are pushing you forward. Lone wolf Christianity won't go well long. Right? It may sustain you about a month, but consistency, consistency is what's going to do it. And the third one is your Christianity will be empty. But if you do like Paul and you have a desire to play a part in God's kingdom, you will have sustainable urgency. So the third point is a desire to play a part in God's kingdom. Right? God's not saved us for us. God didn't save Dustin for Dustin to be greater. No. He saves all of us for a purpose for you to play a part in God's kingdom. You are now the representative of Christ on earth. 1 Corinthians says that we're Christ ambassadors, right? We're the ones representing Christ, which is an important thought, as you could imagine. And so the first one, we need a good understanding of the gospel. I want to go back to these verses, and I want you to think about how these people think of God. The first thing they think of, and the main thing they think of, is that it's a works-based system. Think about what happened with Paul. He gets bit on the hand by a snake, right? The viper comes out of the sticks, bites him on the hand, and what do they say? Verse 4, no doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice, big J, has not allowed him to live. They believe in some type of works-based God, right? You do good, you what? You get good. You do bad, you get bad. Let me tell you guys, that's never happened to anybody. We're all bad, and it's by God's grace that any of us 
go and repent and believe in Christ and get Christ, right? But what happens is we all naturally get to this mindset where we think that we deserve more, right? It's that naturally selfish thing that what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, they wanted to be God, right? They wanted to have the say-so. They wanted to know right from wrong. They wanted it to be about them. They deserved that. And that mindset is what forces us to get the gospel wrong. Listen, what they thought was this. They thought that, man, you just, you know, you just are a good person until something bad happens, and then God deals with you and kills you. That's what these barbaric people think. But that's kind of how we think. Apply this to our lives. How do we know that? How do I know that I naturally struggle with that thought of God? And how do we know that most people do? We know that most people struggle with that thought because when do we primarily run to God? When things are good? No. When things are not good, right? Things get not good in our life. And then we want to go to the one that's outside of our circumstances, and then maybe he'll make our circumstances better. And that's why that happens, because we have the same view of God as these barbaric people. And why do we have the same view of God sometimes as these barbaric people? Because it's the same sin that was in them that's in me and you. And it's a works-based system that says, if I perform, I will get. And if I don't perform, I won't. And the reality is, Ephesians 2 says that none of us will perform well enough to earn God's grace, right? It's only through the blood of Jesus and God's gift in Christ to us that we have anything to boast in. And when we have a healthy perspective of that, it causes us to stay in that. Listen, I want to flip to a, a, a quick chapter or a quick few verses that help explain this. It's in Luke 14 or Luke 13, sorry, 1 through 5. And these people raise the question. It's a good question. Like, what about these people? Or why does bad thing happen to these people? And what Jesus ends up essentially saying here is all people are going to die. My prayer is that some would repent and turn to Christ. This is what he says. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Verse 2, this is where it gets good. And he answered them. The Galileans were uh, people that weren't good. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? What's the question he's posing there? Why do some people suffer worse than others, right? Why does this happen to me and not happen to them? Or why does that happen to them and this not happen to me? How, how, do, we, how do we deal with that thought? What's Jesus' answer? Listen to this, you guys. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, repent you will all likewise perish. What does Jesus remind them of? That these people aren't good so that they're not getting as bad of suffering. It's not a good and bad system. He's saying the reality is all of us are going to perish, right? We're all going to perish apart from repenting and believing in Christ. The, the, the standard, the default of human beings is not good, right? That's the start of the gospel. And when we understand that, it causes us to have a greater view of God's grace, right? And then you naturally, it comes out of you. Four, verse four, or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell. There was a story back then of a tower randomly falling, a random uh, accident, right? We say random. What did we learn last week? Random things don't happen. God's sovereign. A tower fell and killed them, killed 18 people. This is the, the question that Jesus poses. 
Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? He says the tower fell on 18 people. There was a whole city of Jerusalem. Do you think that those 18 were just worse? You see, Jesus' point in posing that question to the people there was, it's not that they're worse. We're all equally worse. Right? We say this often. It's not that those 18 were like 100% bad, and me and you, because we're in church, we're only like 50% bad. You know what I mean? I'm a little bit better. What having a good understanding of the gospel does and understanding things like this works-based system is it causes us to have a big view of God's grace, right? It causes us to have a healthy view of our sin, a big view of our sin, which causes an even greater view of God's grace. Think about this. The bigger deal something is to you, the more you think about it and talk about it. So follow me here. If you get around kids, the more they think about it, it's a big deal to them. They talk about it, okay? That's why I love kids. Adults, what do we do? We get in like... uh, you know, intense or hard situations and we bottle it up and we still come to church and smile and say, I'm doing great, you know, with our big smile on our face. Kids don't do that. If they're sad, what do they do? They pout. If they're angry, what do they do? They hit or do something to let you know they're angry, you know what I mean? Or, or if they're, they're excited about something, it, it outflows of them. Um, I'll, I'll, last week, they won't mind if I share this, but one of our three-year-olds in our church, Mary Ellen, Jamie and Autumn's daughter, cute as can be. I got here, well, maybe it was a few weeks ago, I don't know. But anyway, I get here early. It's cold, you know, 8.30, freezing. I'm the first one here. She's the second one to walk in. She comes running up to me as happy as can be with the biggest smile on her face. I got on makeup today. And listen, it was funny. It was great. I, I sat down. I'm like, man, you, this is awesome. I'm so glad you love your makeup. Well, she proceeded to tell me at least 20 times, Okay. She would not stop telling me, okay? But why? Because it was a big deal. At one point, Autumn, her mother, looked at me, and, and, and she heard her telling me this over and over throughout the morning, and she finally just looked at me, didn't say a word. She's like, you have three-year-olds, too. You know what the deal is, you know? And she just kept doing what she was doing. You know, most of us would be like, what? Sorry he keeps telling you that. Mary Ellen, you already told him that 20 times. He knows, you know? Just, it's just how they are. They're kids, right? But Why? Because it naturally outflows. Listen, the grace of God, the knowledge of Christ and what he's done for us will naturally be the first thing on our mind and naturally flow out of our mouth when we wake up each morning and see our biggest issue in life is our sin and the greatest thing that's ever happened is Jesus paying for it rather than something that's going on in our earthly circumstances. Right? Think about these people. Death is the biggest circumstance. Right? For us, we wake up. What do I need to do today to be successful? Define successful. Maybe for you, it's your reputation. Maybe for you, it's career money. I don't know. But that's the biggest deal in your mind. How do we have sustainable urgency? We wake up every morning remembering the gospel. We wake up every morning remembering that our sin is our biggest issue in life. It's an eternal issue with eternal implications. But God's grace is more and better because he sent Jesus to the cross to die for us, to pay for our sins, and now we have eternal life, which is the greatest gift we could ever have. Y'all follow me on this? When we remember that often, it sustains us. If you, if you want to wake up and be thankful to God tomorrow, 
and just have natural gratitude come out of you, if you want to wake up and have a reason to share with your coworker over the next year, right? Sharing the gospel with your coworker is probably not going to be one conversation and boom, they just get it. It's going to be more conversations over time. It's going to be the long game, not instant gratification. How are you going to be sustainable to be able to sustain that urgency long term? Wake up every morning and say, God, I'm not deserving of your grace. God, I'm sinful. I'm not deserving of your blood on the cross, but you still gave it to me. God, I'm thankful for your grace. And that's having a good understanding of the gospel, a good understanding of how God has worked for us, right? And that's what's going to sustain our urgency long term and get us past the 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever that little, you know, thing is that we try to keep us propelled forward. A good understanding of the gospel will do that. Second thing we see, we'll drop down to verses 11 through 16 is we see a healthy community of believers pushing you forward will help us sustain urgency. I want to read this. After three months, remember, Paul's already spent years in jail. He arrives at Rome, and verse 11 says, After three months we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. It's funny how Christians put like a pose on there to show how they were uh, pagans, you know what I mean? But they tell you what it was. It was not a big deal. But putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Putaleo. That's not how you say that. Verse 14. There we found, this is where it gets good. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. Would y'all say that Christianity has been watered down in America? Because just because somebody says they're a Christian, are you going to invite them in your home for seven days? No. But why? Why were these people? They, they run across Paul. They probably don't know who Paul is. But immediately, these people say, Paul, come in for seven days. My house is open. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. That's how the early believers lived. Why? Because saying I'm a Christian in the Roman culture meant something, right? Saying you're a Christian in our culture, now you go to some places in the world, it's a little different. I guarantee you the, the Chinese church, they probably would be a little more willing to share their home or uh, the, the, the church in North Africa, the church is there. They probably do share everything. Why? Because once they put a stamp on their forehead that says, I'm a believer, I'm in with Christ, they were in with Christ. They weren't too worried about it. You know what I mean? But why is that not the case in America? Because believers don't always act like followers of Christ. And so now we have this confused system of, I'm a believer, or I'm a Christian, but I'm a Christian. This Christian says, I can follow Christ, and I don't really have to follow Christ. There's some gray in there, some blurred lines. And this person says, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm going to follow Christ. And the reality is, in the American church, one is actually a believer and one is not. And it gets hard to define, right? But that's why that would happen there. Their community was tight because they would open their doors up because when you put that stamp on your life that said, I'm a believer, it, it really meant something. And they were willing to share everything. Verse 14, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. This is where it's really good, too. Verse 15, 
And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. Just so y'all know, those places weren't like a mile away. They were miles, probably about 60, which for us, we think you drive 60 miles an hour. That takes how long to get there? Math people in the room? 60 miles at 60 mile an hour. <laughs> Some of y'all just now put that together. I can see it in your brain. You're like, oh my gosh. Okay, anyway. Um, takes one hour to get there. But guess what? They didn't have F-150s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now you had to walk. <laughs> so they take off on a journey to go encourage Paul. Probably the one that gave the, the fire, started the fire for them to be a recipient of the gospel. They then go to see him and encourage him. These people are coming from all over. Why? Because once again, these people actually bear one another's burdens, right? There was a tight community. They wanted to encourage one another. So what does Paul say? Y'all remember who Paul is? Paul's a beast. Verse 16. It says on scene, or sorry, 15, the end of 15, 15b. On seeing them, Paul what? thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Think about this. If anybody probably didn't need to take courage or didn't need courage, who do you think it would have been? Paul. Who says they were encouraged by other believers? Paul. Listen, if anybody else in here, maybe you could say Lone Wolf Christianity worked. But you'd have to do what Paul did first. <laughs> city to city, get beat. You know what I mean? Do that. And then you'd say, well, I can do it on my own. No, because Paul still had believers, you guys. He still needed courage. There's not often in Scripture, especially in Paul's letters that he writes, where he lets his guard down. Often Paul is having to deal with false teachers and um, readjust people and how they think and uh, telling them truth and love. That's often what he's doing in his letters. It's not often he lets his guard down and say, I needed encouragement too. But he does it here. He does it in Romans 7 when he says, I'm doing what I don't want to do. Right? He's saying this is sin in me. There's not often he lets his guard down, but he lets his guard down here and tells them that he took courage. He was encouraged and thank God that these people came to visit him. The more that got me thinking about this and the more I was thinking through it, it causes us to realize that the church... Being here is important. Listen, I can feel it and feel it myself every single Sunday. There's something about being here that encourages you week after week after week. Right? Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembly. There's something about long-term commitment that causes us to have sustainable urgency. I guarantee you, everybody in here pretty much would say, I'm in a better place spiritually. I have more sustainable urgency when I'm around a church. Right? When you're not, when you're disconnected, college students could probably speak to this well. When you're not connected to a church, a local Bible believing, mission centered church that preaches God's word, it's when you stay encouraged. It helps you when you think you don't need help. Think about this. Anybody like watching Animal Planet? It's still a channel. I remember we watched it when we were kids. How about this? Anybody like Shark Week? Oh, I forgot about that because it's not September or August whenever it comes out, whenever school starts usually. Anyway, so when Shark Week happens, um, 
Usually, these sharks are mean, attacking animals, okay? They're the predator. They're trying to find something to prey on. Usually, little fluffy sea lions that are just, you know, God's grace in animals just swimming along and, woo, here comes a shark and something about it we like. I don't know what it is. We don't think about the little sweet animal in that sense. We like watching the shark. I don't know why, but we do. That's why they keep doing shark week because it gets some money, etc. Anyway, so, but if you think about it, which one does the shark attack? The one right in the middle of the pack, right? If the shark's looking from up above, imagine you're a shark in the water, you can see the sunlight, and there's a big dark thing moving, and then there's one straggler out here. You think the shark just runs in the big pack of them and hopes he grabs one? No. He's going for the straggler in the back, right? What does the Bible tell us? It says that Satan is like a what? Roaring lion. Now, let me give you another picture of this. When you watch Animal Planet and you're watching lions attack things, when the deer run by, right, they're migrating, they run the same trails every year, so the lions know that, and they get ready to uh, get their meat to feed their family because they have sweet little lion cubs too, okay? Um, and so I, you have to paint equal pictures, you know what I mean? Because then, then, then people are like, well, the lions are mean. We don't need lions. And it's like, well, then you have like naturalists. This is why, I, let me just say this real quick, okay? You have naturalists. People, there are people that worship nature, okay? It's like, nature's so great. You know, university people, y'all probably get to see this. There really are people that, we just need to let things just play out. Nature's great. And I'm like, have you watched Animal Planet? It ain't, it ain't worth worshiping, you know? Uh, there's bad things that happen in nature too, okay? Alpha male wins. I don't go good in our society, right? We don't need to do that, okay? Anyway, um, but what happens? It's like a roaring lion. The pack of deer runs by. Which one's the lion going after? The one right in the middle that's healthy with two babies running in the midst of the, the 100 or 200 others? Or are they finding the straggler that can't quite keep up with the herd? They're finding the straggler that can't quite keep up with the herd. Why? Because it's easy prey, Right? Think about this. It's the same way. I've seen it in church. Listen, I haven't been in ministry a long time, okay? About seven or eight years. But in that time, I've seen it. I've seen it in people's lives. I've seen it experienced in my own life. If you come to church, but you don't go to group, you're not transparent with any other believers, you keep things hidden. I'm not saying you need to tell everybody, but... You need to have a circle that knows you. When I say knows you, I mean really knows you. Knows your struggles. You don't really read your Bible. It's not a priority. You, you try to hold on to the double life. You don't serve in God's kingdom. You don't serve in the church, which means that's probably a reflection of how you serve at home. You don't prioritize worship on Sundays because I agree we don't need to be legalistic. But there's something about being here. God ordained the church to meet for a reason. And what happens is, naturally, your relationship with the Lord is probably a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Why? Because sustainable urgency only comes... When we have a healthy community of believers pushing us forward, right? It's just natural. When we have that, it becomes easier. 
And listen, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to get some type of numbers up. I'm saying it because it's in Scripture. Never, listen, if you were a believer, let me just give you a, a, a big idea. Some people say, well, there's not a verse. There's not Romans 17.3, uh, okay? Romans only has 16 chapters. That says, thou must go to church, okay? It's not in there. But it's kind of like a, a diet cookbook. If you have a diet cookbook, and the, the goal is that you uh, lose weight while you eat that, and the cookie recipe doesn't have sugar, what does that mean? It don't say it, so I can put sugar in it. You know what I mean? You, you read things in, okay? It's the, it's the similar way with, with this. If you were a Christian in Rome, if you were a Christian in Ephesus, if you were a Christian in Colossae, you had no way to be encouraged. You at this time in the Bible, the Bible hadn't been put together. It was all oral. You had no way to know who God was, what you should live your life like as a Christian. You had no way to know any of that unless you were a part of the church, and a part of the church meant that you would receive Paul's letters. A lone wolf Christian person in that time wouldn't have known what Christianity was. Why? Because being a part of the church would have been the only way. And now we have like, you know, the, the first Presbyterian, the first connection, the first Baptist of places, and then they run out of good names, so we have second and third, okay? But back then, it was just one in a city. It was one unified church, and if you said you were a believer, you were part of it. Once again, it's one of those American things that um, the, the church got big, and so what happens is, is there were divisions that probably shouldn't have happened of divisions over stuff. And so then what happens is things spring up, and so you have multiple. You go to a persecuted area, a place where it's hard, Right? You go to a, you're a pioneer missionary, meaning you're going to be the first one to plant the church in a village. It's probably a little different, right? You're not, you're not fighting over how the Trinity works or any of those things. You're, 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 you're just trying to get believers and get them the scriptures. You see what I'm saying? There's much more unity in that, and that's what happened with them. If we stay committed to a healthy community of believers we are much more likely to have sustainable urgency, you guys. And listen, that's, that's not easy in the sense of the, the world we live in, right? Especially my generation, I'll admit. Instant gratification. All the old people, amen, right? The issue is always the generation behind you, even with me. These young folks, I don't understand. At what age can you start saying that, you know? The issue is sin. The solution is Christ. And to keep pushing forward and have sustainable urgency in your life over a long period of time, you need a healthy community of believers. You need to be part of a church. This is why all through Scripture you see, you see language like shepherds, right? Be a good shepherd. Christ was the good shepherd. Um, Paul knew who he was shepherding. You see this, this language all throughout the New Testament. Why? Because they wanted to keep them together, right? A good shepherd keeps people together. They don't let there be stragglers. They don't let people just fall off the train and be gone for a long time. They keep them on the bus, they keep them moving forward, and they keep pouring into them because that's when we're going to be most effective for the Lord. Amen? When we have community and it's around us. The third thing, we'll wrap up with this, is we need a desire to play a part in God's kingdom. Let's read the last three verses of Acts and be done. Anybody? Can I get an amen? We need to clap. <laughs> We don't clap in this church. I'm just kidding. 
Sometimes y'all act like that. I'm like, it's okay. Listen, we're in a balance, okay? We're, we're, not, we're not trying to, to be crazy. Nah, right? That ended with the apostles, but we're also not, uh, we're not dead. We can be excited about the Lord. That's okay. It says, therefore, says Paul, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. That was a prophecy from the Old Testament. Verse 30, it says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense. Back then, you didn't get to go to prison for free. So people had to bring you food. That would be different, wouldn't it? Right, Paul, Paul had to have other believers come to jail to bring him prison. They didn't do it for him. <laughs> prisoners didn't have as many rights as they do today back then. Two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. And guess what he did when they came? Up to the time he died, you guys. Y'all remember Acts 1.8? No, you don't. It was a year ago. It's a good verse to remember, though. You will be my witnesses, right? You will be my witnesses. The Spirit will come and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of what Christ has done for us on the cross because it's the greatest message in the world. Right? It's why Stephen gave his life to it. It's why missionary after missionary, generation after generation, there are people who are given their whole lives unto death for the mission. Why? Because it's greater than just an earthly life. It's worth giving your life to. Right? All of us. Half in, half out doesn't work. It's worth all of it. So what did Paul do up until the time he died? Verse 31. He proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let me just give a quick challenge in here, okay? Sometimes I feel bad because I'm a preacher and I'm expected to be fired up for the Lord. It's fair, okay? I, I, I preach for a living. I'm thankful. Paul tells us not to uh, muzzle the ox's mouth, meaning that um, if there's a preacher, try to free them up financially. So it is by the grace of God that my full-time job is to be a pastor and preach and uh, you know, pour into the church, shepherd people, etc. And I pray I'm a faithful pastor. But we often think that then it's only the pastor's job to spread the gospel. Let me hire a couple professionals. They can do the church, right? We don't have to do much. Hire the professionals and let them do it. And then if the church doesn't do good, the people, the members, we won't look at ourselves. It's the leader's issue. Listen, I probably have issues. I do. I'm sinful. But for the church to do what it's called to do, every single person has to play a part in God's kingdom, whether you're a pastor or not, okay? So here's a challenge. You may work eight to five, be good at your work. God still wants you to play a part in God's kingdom. Paul was not working at this point. He's in prison, chained up, two chains, remember? What's he doing? Teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. There's not gonna be sustainable urgency unless you're playing a part in God's kingdom. What fires a person up the most that has given their whole life to Christ? You want to know what fires them up the most? Seeing somebody else give their whole life to Christ. That's what sustains you. Right? People say, Dustin, what sustains you in ministry? Just being freed up for a date with my wife once a week. No. I love that. I love my wife. What sustains you in ministry? That's when people tick you off. You have to deal with issues. When things don't go just like you want it, it's not great. What sustains you in the hard times when you have to have hard conversations with people? What keeps you going? 
Seeing people like Ty, who just randomly came out to clear our land, give his whole life to Christ and be hungry, saying, I want to know the Lord and I want to play a part in God's kingdom. That's what fires me up, right? That's what gives you sustainable energy in the kingdom of God, is seeing God work through you. So if there's some type of emptiness, here's the challenge. If there's some type of emptiness in your life and you're saying, I've been following the Lord, I just can't quite figure it out. I don't feel like, listen, with sharing the gospel and wanting to play a part in God's kingdom comes high accountability. Yes, at that point, people are going to say, well, you say you follow Christ, but the Bible says you need to do this. You know what it's going to do? It's going to cause you to stop doing this and then focus on Christ, and that's good for your soul. It's good for you. At one point in my life, I was living a double life. I was serving in kids after a night out being hungover. And God broke me down that morning right? At that point, I wasn't saved, but I wanted to live the double life. I knew I needed to be around church, go out, do things I shouldn't do. Rachel wasn't saved either. We do things we shouldn't do. Wake up the next morning, go live the double life. It's, it's not fun. It's convicting. Listen, it makes church miserable, right? I remember sitting out there being half in and half out. And what God wants you to do, listen, there's always going to be something missing until you go all in and you want to play a part in God's kingdom. And, and it's going to be hard. I say this all the time. If you're married and you have kids, the first kiss was awkward. You had enough desire to figure it out. It's the same with making disciples. Sharing the gospel is kind of awkward. Stuff's going to come up. But if your zeal for God to get the glory that he deserves, we will be willing to make the awkwardness normal, right? It's okay to be a little bit radical every now and then. You can still watch Georgia football yesterday and be committed to Christ. And listen, that's what's going to give us sustainable energy as a church from here on out forever. That's what's going to do it. It's having a good understanding of what Christ did for you being a part of a healthy church that challenges you and knows you, and then now you saying that I'm not going to be a spiritual dam for the work of Christ. The work of Christ is not just for me and then stop, but rather I'm going to let that down and I'm going to now pour it back out for everybody else. And that's when Christianity will become much more enjoyable, you guys. I'm telling you. God didn't design us to be focused on ourselves like the world says. I just need to figure myself out. Just love yourself. You're the problem. We can't just love ourselves and be happy. We're sinful, right? Loving Christ is what it's about. God's glory. And then seeing other people get that and understand that, that is what gives us sustainable energy. I had an analogy. We don't need any more analogies. We're good. That's my prayer for us, you guys, as we finish the book of Acts. It's good. It fires me up. At some point in my life, I had to say, I'm going to leverage it all for Christ. Listen, I'm a normal guy. I like to hunt. Last week, my phone went off. Our small group thought it was hilarious because it was, I was getting uh, deer pictures on, through the cell camera, and it came out while I was preaching. You know, it's funny. I, I get it. Like, I'm not saying that we aren't enjoyable people. But man, I pray that we're not too worried about being like the world that we compromise following Christ, right? We compromise God's mission. God's given us all a purpose. He's given the church a purpose, right? The mission 
you go be witnesses, came before the Spirit in Acts 2. God gave a purpose for believers. You will be my witnesses. Me and you will be the witnesses. Then the Spirit came in Acts 2, and the church was born. You see, the church wasn't formed because God didn't know what to do. The church was formed because God is jealous for his glory. And the church is what's going to be the avenue, the vehicle that gives God glory because we're the ones called to go and make disciples. And every time, right, somebody comes to know Christ, your coworker, your family member, your old friend from high school, every time somebody comes and knows Christ, there's a thousands of angels celebrating and hopefully a couple hundred in our church celebrating because that's what we're here for, right? That's the main thing. That's what we want to be about. And I pray that we never lose sustainable energy for that. Amen? We want it to be sustainable. We don't want it to be up and down. That's why we teach doctrine. Listen, that's why we don't do, uh, you know, church at the movies. Let's grab your popcorn and watch a movie for 30 minutes, and I'll try to relate it to the Bible somehow. It's why we teach expositionally. It's why we go through books of the Bible. It's why we try to give you meat, right? Because we want you to have sustainable energy Long term, we don't want it to have to be a roller coaster ride of a spiritual journey. Amen. Let's pray. And we'll be done. Father, we love you. God, I'm thankful for your grace. God, I'm thankful for this church. God, thank you for the people here. And Lord, I pray that more than ever, God, would you just have us committed to your mission long term. God, would you remind us of what you've done for us? Would you make us be a part of community even when it's not easy or normal? And God, would you give us a desire to play a part in your kingdom? God, so that through all of that, we give you glory. God, you're worth it all. You're worth our whole life. And God, we're thankful, God, for what you're doing in our church now. And God, all we've seen over just while we've been in the book of Acts God, I pray you'd give us sustainable energy moving forward. God, not that we would double next week, but God, that you would give us sustainable energy to continue to chip away and work at the community around us. Lord, give us the eyes to see people the way you do. God, help us remember the patience you had with us and give us patience for others as we go. And God, as we name the series, God, would you see us as a people that are sent? God, not people that are gathered to be entertained, but God, people that are gathered to be built up and equipped by your word to go out and play a part in your kingdom. God, we love you. Help us be a faithful church. Give us wisdom and guidance as we do it. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Everybody says, amen. Amen. The book of Acts is done. Yes. Amen. Yes. <laughs> All right. See you guys next week. Merry Christmas. <laughs>